Well, hey there. Welcome to The Real Podcast, hosted by Jason Kaliba. We think that real people are interesting, not just celebrities and superstars, but also the guy standing in line next to you at the grocery store and the kid beside you in church. We're passionate about sharing the stories and insights of those people, real people, so that you're challenged and maybe even inspired to grow. If you'd like additional resources or more information about our guests, check out our webpage at cochranalliance.com backslash real. So, let's get real. All right, here we go. My parents didn't take too many pictures when I was growing up, so the uh, photo albums compared to the collection that my wife's family have of my growing up years is rather thin. But there are uh, some documents and pictures that take me back to my childhood. And one of the earliest, I'm thinking circa 1980, is a picture of me and some friends from my fifth or sixth birthday party in Drumheller, Alberta. And we are doing some relay race in the basement of my house. And next to me is this kid named Mike Potker, who little did I know at the time would, his narrative would interweave with mine uh, for much of my life and especially the past 20 years. Mm. And uh, it's, uh, it's an honor to have uh, my friend and coworker. Uh, and uh, we, I guess we go back to the early 80s, at least, if not into the 70s. Mm. Uh, Mike Potker here with me today. And uh, if you have uh, been around Cochrane Alliance. If you're part of our church community, if you know Mike as a friend, you know that uh, he has many distinctives. But the most obvious one is that uh, one eye looks different than the other. And so, uh, Mike, I'm delighted today to like get to the bottom of the story of your eye. So welcome to The Real Studio. Well, thanks for having me. I thought we were here to talk about my lisp. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is something we share a little bit. (laughs) Listening to uh, audio recordings of my preaching, sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, my voice does sound like that. So uh, lispers unite. Uh, Mike, I'm looking at you here in the studio, uh, and there's probably a lot of our listeners who can imagine uh, your face and know a little bit of your story, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, your family, and what you do with your time? All right. Well, I'm 48 years old. Um, I'm currently working as an associate pastor at Cochrane Alliance. Over the course of my life, I've had several careers as a tree planter, house painter, and project manager in aerospace uh, industry. So, um, yeah, uh, lots of diversity there, mm-hmm. and uh, also mu- married to an awesome woman, uh, uh, Rebecca, and we've uh, we've got three uh, adult kids, uh, uh, Alethea, Bethany, and Eudora. Cool. That, that's pretty much my life. <laughs> oh, and a dog. We have a dog named Bob. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, all of those things are worth exploration, but why don't you tell us uh, the story of your eye? Uh, what happened to your eye? Cool. All right. Well, as much as I'd like to say I I lost my sight in my right eye to a shark attack while I was in Iraq, uh, that's not what happened. It's a lot less uh, dramatic than that. Um, When I was six years old, 
Uh, we had just recently moved to Cochrane, and I was a grade one student at Andrew Sibbald Elementary, which is now Holy Spirit School, uh, right adjacent to uh, St. Andrew's United Church. And uh, one day, one fateful day there in, I believe, April or May, uh, we were at recess and we were playing soccer. And I just, like a good fullback, got in the way of a shot. And uh, I took one to the face there from the soccer ball. Um, and uh, be- being a six-year-old, uh, I I dropped pretty much immediately and was overcome with pain and I was crying and stuff. And so some of my buddies were checking me out. And they were really freaked out right away and they called for the teacher because both of my eyes were starting to uh, kind of fill with blood. But it wasn't like blood coming out. They, The one kid kept saying, he's got blood under the glass of his eye. Mm. And so it was quite disturbing for them. Um, and then really the rest of the, the next... The next few months were just a whirlwind. Um, Somewhere along the line, I I ended up in the infirmary. My mom was called. She ran me to the hospital. Uh, Was she freaked out or was she fairly calm? Um, Remarkably calm. I see. Yeah. So the backdrop of this is, and this is something that I, I appreciate now as an adult, just how like no matter how crazy your life can get, it can always get crazier is uh, my mom and dad were in the middle of building their house. They, we were renting in Cochrane at the time, and we were building in the East End. They, we were. They were building in the East End. My dad, however, was working on a paint contract out in BC, and my mom was like frantically trying to get the house uh, ready for the next mortgage draw, uh, which required a bunch of milestones to be met. So in the middle of all her frantic preparations for the house mm-hmm. building stuff, she gets this call. Um, I don't remember my mom being freaked out about it. Mm. It was just, let's take care of the situation mm. and, uh, yeah, talk about, well, her name's Grace and she was the picture of Grace under pressure that mm. day. Mm. So she takes me to the hospital. Uh, uh, there was a, the children's hospital has been around Calgary, like for almost a hundred years, I think. But, um, because of the, the nature of my trauma, um, I was taken to Foothills Hospital and I was there for about a week and um, had surgery, uh, hoping that my vision would clear up. And it did in my, in my left eye. Um, but uh, after, after surgery, I was convalescing at Holy Cross Hospital for probably a, a, at least a month or two. Um, all I know is that I, I didn't go back to school for the rest of grade one. And uh, I, they just advanced me to grade two. Uh, by the time, oh, so that explains a lot. I know I'm so intellectually uh, um, handicapped. That information that you would have got at the end of grade one. That critical end of year information in grade one, when all the kids are running around rangy because summer's around the corner. I missed out on that that first year. Um, so yeah, I mean that that was it in a in a nutshell. Um, uh, the the health caregivers. Uh, we're always quite optimistic and, and uh, we're, you know, hold, we were holding out hope that, you know, by consulting with the right specialists and surgeons that maybe a, a corneal transplant would help uh, restore vision to my, um, to my right eye, which is the blind one. Mm. However, I, in the course of about a year, it became apparent that the damages in my right eye were far far deeper than just uh, the cornea being um, bloodstained. So um, the, the risks involved of a, of a halfway successful tran- corneal transplant 
um, were were bigger than the the the, the potential dangers of of, of having a, a gray vision in my bad eye versus just complete blackout um, would have been far worse. So so we elected not to pursue surgery, mm-hmm. and and then then the rest was history. You know, if this was uh, two thousand twenty. Uh, and the same accident happened, would there be something more available or sight-saving to you than there was uh, 40 years ago? Or do you know? I, to be honest, I don't have a clue. Uh, huh. I don't, I don't, maybe that says something psychological about me. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, to be honest, I, I don't have a clue. I, I, I would think that there might have been maybe some, or, like there could have been other things they could have done early intervention-wise, yeah, yeah. you know. But... Uh, but yeah, like to my knowledge, they don't do anything other than corneal transplants. That there's like nobody's ever taken a whole eyeball out and then like put a new one in with a reattaching an optic nerve and yeah. stuff like that. That's there. There, I've just exhausted the depth of my biological <laughs> Your knowledge. Optic, uh, knowledge. <laughs> so yeah. I, I know um, trying to go back into your own head when you're a young child and determine what your emotions were. But do you recall? how you felt uh, mm. uh, immediately post-accident and in the hospital and as your the treatments are being discussed, do you recall the emotion or the thought process that you had back then? I have one distinctive memory while I was driving into the city that at that, as I was driving into the city, I remember thinking, man, my eyes are pretty freaky. So maybe I should just keep my right eye closed just in case somebody in traffic sees me and ca- it might cause an accident. <laughs> so even then You're I was like, more, I was more concerned about others was, was, you know, I guess that's my adult interpretation of that memory. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, but to be honest, um, it was kind of like, oh, I don't know. It's just kind of like, well, one more thing that you just kind of, well, we're just going to kind of keep taken one step at a time going forward and, and hope for the best. And, uh, I don't remember, I honestly don't remember there being any like, um, kind of existential cries of why is, why me or why did this happen? Um, it was really more of a, okay, this is a situation. And I don't know. All I can say is, is that children are remarkably adaptable. Hmm. And uh, when I look back on my experience and then compare it to other people's experience with, with you know, trauma like this that maybe have happened later in life, um, I marvel at the, yeah, the adaptability of, of young children. Mm. It, it's remarkable. Mm. So uh, you grew up within the Cochrane Alliance community mm-hmm. and you've been conscious of God as much as you've been conscious of any person in your life. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us what was going on in your head as you related to God and as you thought about how he was involved or not involved in in what was going on with your eye? Hmm. Yeah, incidentally, actually, my accident predates Cochrane Alliance Church. Oh, We okay. were actually... Um, I know my folks, there was a Bible study going on that kind of was the thing that morphed into Cochrane Alliance that was happening in Cochrane. Mm. But the church that we attended on a regular basis was actually Foothills Alliance. Okay. And so um, the the any kind of family concern or pastoral care that, that, that the church provided were actually families from Foothills. Um, uh, but anyways, but back to your question, um, how did it shape my view of God? So... I'm one of these people, I grew up born again, 
I, I prayed the prayer to accept Jesus into my heart probably within a year prior to this accident. I think I was five when, when I did that. And so here I am, uh, a brand new believer. <laughs> and, and here's a, you know, a big, a big, uh, earthquake, earthquake of, of an event happening in my circumstance. And, um, and so here's the interesting thing is that like, while, you know, a conversion experience for a six-year-old can really, it's only as dramatic as you can imagine it would to be, mm-hmm. would be. But the remarkable thing is that when, when this happened to me, God just seemed near to me throughout the whole thing. Um, God's presence is just something that is just kind of, you know, well, we take it for granted and we're oblivious to it many times. But all I can say is, is that in terms of my faith journey, he never, he was with me the whole time mm. and, and, and kind of stayed with me throughout. Um, so I don't did know. You, did you, yeah. did you sleep alone, uh, lots of nights at the hospital or was there always someone with you? Uh, um, how, tell me more about I, the sense of his presence that you had. Yeah. Um, he w- yeah, I, there there weren't people around. You know, of course, my my folks were around all yeah. the time. <laughs> in the middle of like trying to get this house built and food on the table, working and that stuff, they were running or running to be with me in the hospital a lot. Um, so they were around, and um, um, you know, it's it's kind of like you know, in the in the in the same way that God is near and He cares. Like Jesus said that you know, consider the lilies and consider the the sparrows uh like i take care of them yep. um you know just how much more would i take care of you i kind of felt like i was like right there you know being sustained and and god being near in mm. that kind of way uh, all along i don't really remember very many um like roommates in the hospital mm. i do remember one uh, i don't know orderly or nurse or somebody um uh, this was, I believe this was at Foothills. One of those, uh, one of those families from Foothills Alliance had brought me like a little, I, I mean, beanie babies weren't uh, invented yet, but it was kind of the equivalent to a beanie baby. And it was a little puppy and, um, and this orderly, uh, and some, for some reason the radio was on and it. And, and it just so happened that the song that was playing at the time was Dust in the Wind by Kansas. <laughs> and the orderly was striking up a conversation with me and saying, you know, oh, we should name your we should name your puppy. And and the, and she suggested, why don't you call him Dusty? Mm-hmm. And so I have this little puppy named Dusty, because all we are is dust in the wind, dude. <laughs> um and and even that, like, why is that the most vivid memory from mm. from this whole ordeal? I don't know. But um but it's just yeah. All I can say is like a kind of a, yeah, just uh, some some theologians talk about how, you know, when they're trying to like wrestle with the problem of e- evil in the world and stuff like that, um, you know, they'll they'll talk about how God suffers with creation when creation suffers. And I, 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 I don't know, there's something about that I, that I take comfort in mm. and, and kind of with my more sophisticated adult look at things, I go back to that and I, I think maybe... That's what I what I was experiencing with with God being present to me, mm. and that He was just there suffering along with you. Yeah, yeah, mm. totally. Did He say anything to you? Not much specifically. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, we, you know, whether it was the the promise of of 
of like the, our, our medical caregivers who's saying, hey, you know, we can try this and maybe things will clear up or maybe this this procedure will help. Um, like that was a long process of, of hopefulness that lasted about a year. And even beyond that, um, uh, it is like I prayed. Like, I, I think my right eye is probably like the most prayed for organ in the Western Hemisphere. Mm. Um, we, we, I've, I've always kind of held out the, um, the, the ardent hope that, uh, that God would, would bring healing, to, uh, physical healing to me. And, um, and so that was kind of like the, one of those ongoing themes in my prayer life, right from the, you know, from the beginning of all, when, when you learn bedtime prayers, um, uh, as, as a child. And, and that, that carried on, uh, for a long time. So much so that, um, when I was kind of hitting adolescence, uh, remarkably my eye, uh, even though it's functionally, uh, useless, uh, structurally it's quite healthy. The, the pressure in my eyeball has, has, uh, maintained uh the right consistency mm-hmm. um it it grew in proportion to my head mm. um so like you know, from a structural point of view it's it's a healthy eyeball and and yet during my adolescent years my caregivers were beginning to suggest that we explore maybe uh, uh switching to a prosthetic eye for for the sake of appearances yeah. and that you know maybe maybe it'd be better for my mental health if i look normal normaler <laughs> yeah, who, who looks normal um especially with a face like mine. Um, but, uh, but it, the interesting thing is, and, and, and which I laugh at this now, but I, I said, no, I don't want a glass eye because, um, I want, <laughs> I figured that it, that God would have an easier time healing me if I retain my, my real eye, which, wow. which is like, you know, oh, well, I don't want to get cremated because, you know, God can't resurrect my body in the last yeah. days if I'm cremated. Well, what, <laughs> I mean, when you think about it logically, it makes no sense at all because mm-hmm. God can do anything, uh, even with a glass eye. Uh, but, but yeah, but that was just one of those things that is like, I had this relationship with God and I wanted to p- kind of, you know, partner with him and, and just, you know, work, work hand in hand with him, you know, so n- there were like no specific messages in relation to the, this accident or any kind of thing, but, uh, but just that kind of ongoing mm. dialogue and, so and uh, reliance. You got back to school in September of of the following school yes. year. Yeah, okay. I believe I started like at the same. And did things look time. different? They or uh, it was the. Uh, this sounds harsh, whatever. But the the difference or the disfigurement or however we want to term it. Did you look different as soon as you went back to school? Oh yeah. And so how did yeah. how did your friends respond? I can't remember a thing. Huh. Um, to be honest, uh, uh, most. Uh, yeah, like I don't have any clear memories of like a response. Um, back in those early elementary days, most of my close friends thought it was kind of cool. Mm. Like, ooh, cool, man. You know, um, like I, I don't know about you, but like, you know, if you have like a scar or something, like a nasty scar, mm. you know, is it's kind of like, well, that's cool, man. You know, so in, in that kind of way. Um, and then later on in life, as you know, you, you, develop, you know, longer lasting friendships and things like that. I, I remember friends of mine when, 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 th- when this topic comes up in, in the course of a relationship, a lot of my close friends will say, you know, I don't even notice it anymore, you know, which, which is kind of weird because like, I kind of notice it every time I look in the mirror, <laughs> but, but, um, I, I, I remember when, uh, we, 
uh, brought you back in 2014. And so there would be some people who've been in this church family a long time who would know exactly your story and wouldn't mm-hmm. notice your eye. But uh, I, I look back on that as we introduced you to the church family, <laughs> we just kind of carried on like there was nothing there. And we've never, I don't, I don't think we ever told the story of like, oh, by the way, what is going <laughs> on with that guy's eye? Yeah, I think I told my, shared my testimony, I think like two years after working, yeah. starting working here again. Um, uh, and so uh, if your friends immediately didn't notice anything because they were tracking along with you the whole time, what about as you grew and as new people came into mm. your life, was it ever something that you were picked on or you were made fun of because you were different or not, nothing too severe? Nothing too severe. I mean, mm. there, you know, people, there's, there's good nature. Te- like I, I, I think most people can, if, if, if you're, if you're self-aware and you have a decent sense of self, uh, most of us can, can differentiate between like good natured teasing, ribbing, yep. you know, I, I happen to think that like, you know, trash talk and ribbing can be a, a form of a love language. And there's a difference between that and mean spirited, mm-hmm. uh, type of, type of, um, teasing. And, uh, I can heart, like, as far as like people that I know, people that matter, I don't remember ever experiencing the mean spirited side of things. So either they're really good at being nice to my face and then not behind and then mean behind my back or, or it's just genuine, but, but it wasn't a source of pain. No, 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 it's the sideways glances you get at the grocery store, especially from kids and then like less than self-aware adults, (laughs) you know? So, so, uh, we've, we've explored this a little bit, but just in retrospect, um, how did your parents help you navigate this as mm. as you grew older, as mm-hmm. you were asking God to heal your eye? Uh, what do you What do you remember about what, what they did well of of helping you navigate a, a handicap, if we call it that, or what do you, do you call it a handicap? Um, well, yeah, it's definitely a handicap. Okay. Uh, it, it's it's just not severe. Like anybody out there who who has like a debilitating uh, uh, circumstance that really inhibits, you know, like I, what I, what, what my limitations are, are just minor in comparison to, to, you know, like complete blindness or, you know, mobility issues and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. I mean, for me, I have, I have no depth perception and I have limited peripheral vision. Uh, so I don't know if you remember the first and only time you and I played squash. I think it was in Fairmont. Vaguely, yes, I um, do. Yeah. Well, I remember vividly because it was humiliating. <laughs> I don't know why they make the squash racket head so small because it, I could not hit the ball for the life of me. And, you know, so things like that are very difficult uh, uh, for me. And um, and with the depth, uh, with the, the peripheral vision thing, I, I kind of have to keep my head on a swivel um, uh, because the likelihood of me bumping into somebody on my on my right side is 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 greatly enhanced. And actually, my chiropractor told me a few years ago that my neck hyperextends when I turn to the right because from all the shoulder checking <laughs> <laughs> uh, while I'm driving. <laughs> um, uh, what was the question again? Um, oh, how did my parents yeah, help? Your parents. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that was the is this a, is this a disability? And and yeah, it is. Um, and how did my folks help? Uh, well, I think. It's what they didn't do that helped the most. Mm. Um, they just treated me normal, and um, and I thought that was great. Um, they, 
<laughs> I think when I talked to them about this, they were like, they, 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 I think, you know, they were ignorant, like, you know, they, they, I think they, they said, yeah, we were ignorance as pups. You know, we, we don't, <laughs> we didn't know what to do. So mm. we just kind of carried on. And, and that part of it was good. And if they had any of their own kind of like, you know, those, those kind of spiritual struggles, like why this God kind of, kind of things, those, those were never on display for me to, mm. um, to see them, to see them struggle like that. Um, we 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 have a we have a very open and honest spiritual dialogue and i consider them and spiritual friends so i i know that they're not they're not the kind of people that like hide their struggles and pretend that everything's okay um but i think when you're when you're in those formative years um yeah it was just it was just they were steady which mm. i think the steadiness is is uh is uh the thing that that helped me the most um <laughs> it's funny. So I was talking about how I, how much I prayed for my eye to be healed in my in my younger years. Uh, my mom did kind of. We can't remember exactly when this happened, but I definitely I I remember having a conversation with her where she said, "You know, Mike, like, y- you know, maybe God's answer is that is is like that He wants that He's there. There's other things in your life, and that." that maybe you don't need to be asking for this every single day that, you know, when you're doing your, Mm. when you're doing your prayers. And I just remember, you know, for me, it was like, oh yeah, good point. You know, like, so this was at an age where it's like, you know, sometimes God answers yes. When we pray, sometimes God's answers no. And Mm -hmm. sometimes God's answers wait. And, and it's like, kind of like, look, Mike is obviously not immediately. Yes. So, um, Maybe you should let the let the wait or the no things kind of percolate in your in your spirit uh, for a while. So mm-hmm. I did. <laughs> okay. Is there anything you would say to parents helping their kids navigate? Mm. Uh, there's not very many people listening that their child has an injury in one eye, but mm. something that in the sovereignty of God may not be coming back, or life is going to be forever changed what would you what would you say to a parent who has to help their child navigate that that's a good question um it it and it doesn't have to be like a physical trauma i mean mm. um i mean we're all vulnerable to be traumatized in, in in a variety of different ways and i i think as a kid who as a kid who experienced trauma um i'd say like the most beneficial and helpful thing that that my parents uh did for me was to be just steady Mm. um and uh um yeah like letting let like i i knew they were there and um and it's not like they did everything perfect and you know they're not they're not they're not the perfect parents or anything like that (laughs) i know every time i every time i come to my mom with a question about the past she's just like oh she's kind of like waiting for the bomb to drop oh how did scarred her some way or she scarred you well i'm sure i scarred her plenty (laughs) Uh, but but yeah no yeah she she, you know as parents we're we're always a little bit insecure right and i think you had a guest uh come on recently that says you know like i you know about uh, as parents, uh, our kids are going to be just by being kids. They're going to undermine our our sense of self worth mm-hmm. and effectiveness as parents. And yet, we somehow have to draw the resources together to keep it together because our kids need us to be um, 
self-aware and well, like, like uh, I can't think of the right words because like just saying, oh, be put together sounds so trite, but um, I hope, you know what I'm trying to... Like, I think uh, Henri Nouwen, when he was asked about how, uh, a lady asked him on how she could better parent her son and the answer paraphrased was something along the lines of the the best gift you can offer your child is to be a growing person yourself. Mm. Yeah, oh, there you go, growing. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's not like I was savvy to their inner prayer life or what God's been teaching them, but there was definitely, like, their roots, like, to use that analogy and kind of flog it further, like, their root, I, I knew that their roots went deep, mm. you know, and, uh, and, and so that's, how do you do that? I don't know, you... you you start by germinating something, you mm-hmm. know, and, and you cultivate an environment where you can grow and have support around you yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So take us out of childhood then as you matured into an adolescent and into a young adult. Um, what, what did you do with this as you, it wasn't a new thing anymore. You basically mm-hmm. grown up all your life, quote unquote, with um, sight only in one eye. What, what were some significant moments where your perspective changed or grew? Hmm. Yeah. So I would say on the negative side, as I was navigating the hurricane of adolescence with all the crazy things that, that go on, I, there was definitely, my mental health definitely took a plunge. I, I was I was a very kind of shy person, uh, or at least uh, very unconfident. What's the word for unconfident? But um, you know, I, I lacked in confidence and, um, and, and the things I was interested in were things like athletic pursuits. And, 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 and so, um, I would, I would overcompensate by, uh, just like being feverishly hardworking. Mm. Um, I never won any, I never won any award. If I ever won any sports awards uh, when I was in grade school, it was like for showing heart and determination. Mm. It was never because of my mad skills on mm. the, on the hardwood or anything like that. And so, um, and then that, that kind of carried forward, uh, even into my college years where it was just like, you know, I just, I just got to be so determined to, to over like to compensate for, for, uh, you know, my, my inabilities or, or, or the things that are holding me back. And, and so I put a lot of pressure on myself and that, and, and that, I mean, to this day, I, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm having a, a seesaw battle with things like anxiety performance anxiety in particular and. And, um, and so that's, that's kind of been one of the, one of the shadows that, uh, that, that I've, I've just kind of come to I'm learning more and more to just embrace mm-hmm. it and let it be part of, part of who I am. Um, and then along the way, kind of with that as the backdrop, I don't know, some of the, uh, um, you know, significant moments or milestones was, um, well, it was interesting that, you know, I, I, th- that whole like God, you need to heal my eye. Even even when I stopped praying every day for it, you know, I I wanted to, you know, I, I I was still always holding out hope that that someday He might choose to change change that. Um, it, that that kind of re- that kind of came to a head, I think, in my sophomore year uh, in college, where you know, as part of the Alliance tradition, we uh, we we believe in and we offer prayers of divine healing or mm-hmm. prayers for divine healing. And I was at, I was at a, a service uh, at Rosewood Park Alliance uh, where I, I went and I asked for prayer and, um, 
and and actually it was some of my classmates that were a part of the prayer ministry team and, and when mm. I told them what I what I wanted them to pray for, they're like they kind of like took a deep breath and go, Holy cow, like, okay, let's do this. Like it just got real, you know? Yep. And and we prayed. And and at the time it was kind of like I I wanted to give God a choice because like I was self-aware enough to know that all this overcompensating and performance anxiety and anger with myself, it wasn't right. It wasn't, it's, it wasn't, I wasn't thriving. And so when I went and asked for healing prayer, I kind of said, I laid it out to God in, in terms of like, you know, um, it'd be great if you could heal my eye. Um, but if you're not going to do that, if the answer there is still wait slash no, um, at least help me, uh, at least heal my heart. Mm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of being angry. I'm tired of overcompensating. I'm tired of trying so hard. And so I got anointed. The guys prayed for me and physically nothing happened. Mm. Um, but that week, um, is the week that I met a man named Doug Weeb, who was my homiletics prof. And although he wasn't my homiletics prof yet, but he was, he was one of the, one of the t- uh, professors at, at the college. And he started, uh, he started meeting with me. And um, amongst other things, like being a missionary and a preacher, uh, he's also a, a, a very gifted counselor. And he started helping me work on the heart side of things. Mm. And I really believe that, um, that, that Doug was the answer to, to, to uh, my prayers for a healed heart. Mm. And uh, yeah, he he played a big, big, big mentoring role in my life wow. uh, in that season. Mm. Um, uh, interestingly, I, I'd say uh, another interesting experience. You asked about like be getting teased and stuff like that. Um, there is another like other than just the wow, that guy looks weird kind of dark side of of society. There is a there is an underbelly uh, um, to kind of the way society works and. I, I think recently the, the word for it is, has been called ableism. And um, over the kind of the formative years of my adult life, I did experience, I didn't know what it was at the time because we didn't have that word. That's more of a buzzword these days, yep. right? But I did experience it. And um, and it sucked to experience. Um, it Nothing undermines your self-confidence like, like uh, you know, being told that like you just aren't, either worthy or good enough to, to do something. Do you want to tell the story? Because I think I know this one. No, nah, well, that's better. Let's save that for another day. Okay. <laughs> uh, but at any rate, um, <clears throat> it's, uh, you know, it, it, I mean, it was, it, while it sucked to have that experience, um, it helped me, it helped me, gr- it helped me become a man and stand on my own mm. two feet. And, uh, and so, and that, that's, you know, in terms of like things that God can use, I I've been able to take that experience and use it um, to do to to be an encouragement to others who maybe experience that as well, and just say like, listen, um, he who began a good work in you will see it to completion, and you don't have to let the haters uh, uh, try to convince you otherwise. Mm. And it's also given me occasion to speak truth to power when I feel like it's the right time, mm. and. Um, and yeah, and this this experience yeah. was uh, some folks telling you that you're because you weren't quote unquote normal or didn't fit the standard mold of normal people mm-hmm. that you needed to conform to a different kind of uh, image in order to be qualified for what That's you were right. wanting to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. you 
you couldn't do your job because you looked, your your appearance was flawed. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I'm, and I'm, I mean, I wasn't applying to be a supermodel. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, yeah. Um, all that, all that to say is, is like God uses that stuff. And, and in, in this case, uh, you know, negative things uh, can get turned around and it, it makes you, you know, it was Nietzsche who, who said that whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And uh, that's, uh, that's kind of definitely a big part of the big theme in my story, I think. Hmm. Um, I just have an American Idol song rolling now in my head. <laughs> uh, what, what about dating life? Because I know as a guy, I'd be like, mm. oh, shoot, now... I'm a, are all the girls going to reject me? Did that play yeah. into your ro- romantic life at all? And of course, you have a wife and three daughters now. But uh, and I'm still scared to talk to girls, <laughs> maybe for different reasons. <laughs> um, yeah, still having a hard time asking Becky on a date. Um, that was like, I mean, I was a shy kid, scared to talk to girls uh, for sure. What? How much that had to do with my eye? I don't know. I mean, I got lots of sideways glances, but I was never. I always just assumed that well, that they just it's because of they're just checking out the weirdness mm-hmm. factor, not not like hey, check that. Like you know, mm-hmm. I just kind of assumed it was it was the the unpromising kind of sideways <laughs> glance. Um, so yeah, I've never been much of a player, and a mm. and yeah, and but that's that mount. Interestingly enough, though, coincidentally, you know how they say that uh, you always marry someone like your your parent? It's really hilarious because Becky's dad is actually, he's blind in one eye <laughs> as well. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, when I met Becky, it was just, it was meant to be. Got to <laughs> work it out in advance. And that's, that's right. probably not even a joke, <laughs> totally. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. Yeah, you never know, right? So, so it never was an issue, like it was kind of, she'd been around that before. Yeah, I... I Let's just say I, I've I've had enough dating experiences to know that the world is there. There are enough um, good people in the world that that wasn't like a severely limiting factor hmm. for sure. It's it, it's mostly internal that internal struggle to put yourself out there, and, hmm. and we could get all psychological about that, but I'm not a psychologist. Okay. <laughs> so. Talk to me about your prayer life now. Hmm. Do you still pl- pray that God will restore your sight? Um, not sometimes. To be honest, like really the only thing that I'm missing out on, other than, you know, a, a, a career of fame and fortune as a professional athlete. Or taking me down in squash. As, or taking Jason <laughs> down in squash. The only thing that, like, really, the, the biggest impact is that 3D movies <laughs> don't work. Like, in terms of just day-to-day living, when I go to the movie theaters, I got to put on those stupid glasses because the screen's blurry without them, but I don't get the, I don't get the full effect. So, like, like, you know, really, do I need to pray that God would take that inconvenience out of my life? I, I, I just think that, there's other things I need to be working on in my prayer life. To be to be honest, I can tell you as uh, Avengers is not that great with 3D. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Um. Uh. I, here's the thing: is this whole like recognition of God's presence? I think how that shaped me and shaped my prayer life is. I've had to kind of think more deeply about things. It's just not you know. 
the, the, the black, white, either, or, uh, be good, good things happen, be bad, bad things happen. Um, my life doesn't fit that pattern. Um, and so I think at an earlier age, I had to, I had to wrestle with things that aren't black and white. And so, um, I think that's contributed a lot to kind of my prayer temperament or, or like my demeanor is, is I've, I've always been, I've always felt like I'm a little bit more contemplative or a little bit more of a mystic. And I think it's because of my story. Mm. And, um, you know, and, and so for me, like I, like more than anything, I just want to experience union with God and, and I want to, you know, I want to help people, um, I, I want to help people experience the same. And, you know, one of the things that I want my life to count for is I'd like to be a voice in the church or, or a, a leader in the church that helps transform the church into something for which the world can thank God. Mm-hmm. Because we can all think of plenty of examples of church-related incidences where, where it's the people do the opposite of thanking God mm-hmm. uh, because of the church. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so... Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I kind of, I see my prayer life now uh, as kind of being more of a just wanting to kind of go deeper into that river and um, uh, that is God and uh, and invite others in for the swim and and see where God takes us and 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 knowing that you know it's it's going somewhere really good. Hmm. If you would reflect on the ways that God has used this to bring glory to himself um, or good for other people. Do you, do you have any reflection on that? Sorry, I didn't quite follow. So if you go, what for what good, other than mm. maybe my own development, uh, and what are the ways that God has used this for his own glory or for the good of others in the world? Do you have any, mm. any reflection on that? All right, so one of the ways that God did speak directly to me uh, over the course of my of my the younger parts of my life is that at multiple instances God gave me messages from other people that that I am I I'm to be a leader in 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 God's community and um, and so I think in answer to that question I, I what, how did God bring bring all this about He used He used the circumstance of of my blindness and 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 the journey of dealing with that trauma to that's part of who that's part of what made me who I am today and it's and so it 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 just comes out in in lots of lots of ways maybe even imperceptible because it's just it's just how I am it's how I work in the world hmm. and and so he's made me into the person I am today and I I work and I do my best to to lead uh the covenant community that I'm a part of to to be a gospel people, and I just do it the way I do it, and and you do it that way because of who you are and what you've experienced. Yeah, who happens to be this 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 guy who's blind in one eye mm. and um, who's had to kind of come to terms with that. Mm. Yeah. What would you tell someone who, and almost certainly all of us who are listening to you right now, we're gonna. Something's going to happen to us at some point mm. in our life where we go like, "What is God up to? I don't know how to take this. What has He got against me?" As someone who's been, who's had to deal with the the result of something early mm. on, what would you say this to us? Um, well, I would say is that when you're suffering, like 
you know, when you're suffering, um, in that moment, it it's so helpful to remember that God is suffering with you. Mm-hmm. He he's he's there with you. He's not against you. Um, you know, you can cite that 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 cheesy footsteps poem that you know that mm-hmm. that is on posters and stuff like that. It like. Yeah, it's kind of cheesy and cliche to think about the the poem, but at the same time, it's a hundred percent true. Like when we are at our worst, God is there carrying us, and um, and I mean we we have we have Christ as our example that like he he went through the darkest of nights as well, and and he was you know crying out to his father, and his father was there uh, mm-hmm. for him. Um. Another thing is, is that like, I've noticed that life is resilient. Like, have you ever noticed that like the, as soon as pavement cracks, what's the first thing that happens, right? Like weeds sprout, mm-hmm. right? Like I've, you know, I hike to, you know, the summit of a, of a mountain that's like, you know, a mile above the tree line. And, and yet what's, what do I find up there above the tree line? I find life you know, growing amongst the rocks. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and, and so even my own story of just, just be marveling at how resilient I was as a six-year-old, um, that, that kind of, that in itself is kind of like a meditation from God to, to focus on. And it, 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 for me personally, remembering that life is resilient gives me another reason to just keep putting one step in front of the other, even mm-hmm. when I'm kind of in the dark night of the soul or, or, or I'm, um, you know, suffering physically or emotionally or, or whatever. Um, just, yeah, just next time you're on a sidewalk, just look at the weeds growing and know that like life is resilient and mm-hmm. it's unstoppable sometimes. Um, and I don't know, the last, last thing that comes to mind is, um, like as a as a follower of Jesus, I have the the hope of the resurrection, and um, and uh, that resurrection can can supersede that that hope that for something better, uh, for to being transformed into being made new into a new creation, mm. that supersedes the kind of the longings that I have to fix my my current situation, and um, yeah, I I just uh, recently I've been listening. Uh, to uh, Handel's Messiah a lot. And uh, the part three, right after the Hallelujah Chorus, um, the, the, the fr- it's, it's the first song on part three, and it's, it's taken straight out of Job 19, and it says, um, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that, that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I will see him myself, with my mo- with my own eyes, mm. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Mm. Um, yeah, like I don't know that that's that's uh, uh, that's powerful stuff, and then to hear it beautifully sung and and played to you know by by people who are good at that kind of stuff, man. Like if you're a believer, how can you how can you get through a how can you get through Messiah and not mm. be a blubbering idiot? Mm. But uh, like I am right now. <laughs> But um, yeah, that, like, does that make your situation? Do any of these things make your situation different? No, um, but uh, but it it change if 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 you if your pers- if God can help you change your perspective, 
then God only knows what what good can come out of a person who who uh, um, you know experiences resilience. Hmm. Yeah. Well, after you see uh, Jesus with your own eyes and you uh, take a tour of uh, heaven and see that, then uh, we'll sit down together for some uh, Avatar or something like that and watch three three D movies <laughs> together. That's right. I, I've I've got a lot of screen time booked uh, in the next life for for three D movies. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say probably not. I don't think that those movies will rate that high compared to all the other things you might be able to see and watch down the road. I'm, I'm thinking the old school 3D, like the Three Stooges 3D. Oh. <laughs> I'm thinking that might be fun. <laughs> Mike, uh, thanks for being my friend. Thanks for your courage and maturity uh, amidst this. And um, I do know that I'm one of the people who get to experience uh, the the fruit of how God has shaped you over time, including some of your own uh, suffering and mm. uh, dealing with limited sight. So um, way to go for being resilient and I'll give glory to the one who stands behind you as well. Oh, thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to The Real Podcast. For more information on this episode and others, check out our website at cochranalliance.com backslash real. Until next time, keep it real.